Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we looked at the testimonies of DNA analyst Amber Rasmussen and Sarah Hughes, Anthony Huber's great aunt. On today's episode, we explore the testimony of Carrie Ann Swart, the fiance of the late Joseph Rosenbaum. That's coming up right after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The state's next witness is Carrie Ann Swart, who was Joseph Rosenbaum's fiance at the time of his death. Again, the questioning is handled by Prosecutor James Krauss. But before we begin our examination of Krauss's questioning of Swart, it bears mentioning that in his opening statement to the jury, Prosecutor Thomas Binger told the jury that Rosenbaum was released from a local hospital early on the day of August 25, 2020. After leaving the hospital, he went to Swart's residence. Binger also mentioned that he could not stay there, but he did not mention that Rosenbaum was hospitalized for a suicide attempt and was prevented from staying with Swart by a no-contact order filed against him. In response to a pretrial motion filed by the prosecution, Judge Bruce Schrader had ruled that Rosenbaum's mental health history, including charges of domestic abuse and child molestation, were not admissible at trial. As we noted in our coverage of the opening statements, Prosecutor Binger tried to thread the needle of telling the Rosenbaum-Swart story without revealing those aspects of Rosenbaum's past. And for the most part, Judge Schrader confirmed his earlier ruling keeping Rosenbaum's reasons for hospitalization and his criminal history out of evidence. However, it falls to Prosecutor James Krauss to once again try to thread that same needle in the questioning of Carrie Ann Swart. He begins by asking Swart about Rosenbaum's activities immediately prior to August 25th, 2020. You know where he had been in the days prior to August 25th, in the day or two prior? Yes. Where was he? He was at a hospital in Milwaukee. And do you know for sure how he got from the hospital in Milwaukee to back to Kenosha? I am not a a thousand percent sure as far as I gathered from him and from the hospital they brought him down here you didn't bring him back down no i did not and he wasn't dropped off at this motel no yeah so how did uh do you if you know how did joe do you know where he was dropped off i believe he was dropped off by the transit center so right around here in downtown Mm -hmm. kenosha and do you know how he got to your hotel he walked kraus then asks swart about rosenbaum's attire on august 25th he was wearing jean shorts, white shoes, and a red top. Did he have a bandana with him at all? No. And did, was he carrying or holding anything? He was carrying a plastic hospital bag. And did you see the plastic hospital bag? I did. 
Did you see what was inside the plastic hospital bag? I did. What was inside the plastic hospital bag? I saw socks, a miniature deodorant, like a trial size, little toothbrush and toothpaste, uh, paperwork, and an empty water bottle, like a plastic water bottle that was empty. So when you're talking about a plastic water bottle, let me just borrow one from the detective here. Do you mean like your standard 16 to 20 ounce plastic bottle or like something you'd see maybe at a gym or on a bike, like a more heavy plastic? No, it was a plastic bottle like that. So a small, probably 16 ounce plastic. It was empty. There was no water. Did you talk to him about this bag? I, I did. I just asked him if he wanted me to throw it out and he had said no. He was going to carry it around with him because of the few items that were in it. Krauss next asks Swart what she and Rosenbaum spoke about, and she replies that they mostly just talked about their relationship. Krauss then inexplicably pivots to this question. Do you know if he was able to procure any medication that day? He was not able to fill the prescriptions he had because the Walgreens closest to us had been boarded up and closed down due to the chaos that was going on. Do you know, if you know, if he had taken his medications that day? He had. After a long pause, Krauss shows Swart a photo of Rosenbaum's clear see-through plastic hospital bag, and she identifies a few items in it. He then tries to elicit testimony that supports the idea that Rosenbaum was not previously acquainted with Joshua and Kelly Zeminski, the couple who were allegedly engaged in agitating behavior with Rosenbaum on the night of August 25, 2020. How often were you with him? Every day. And were there times he would uh, go out on his own? No. Uh, Were you together all the time? All the time. And you said for a while you were homeless and you said you were living in a tent? Correct. And you were together that entire time? All the time. Did uh, Mr. Rosenbaum ever introduce you to someone named Joshua Zeminski? No. Did Mr. Rosenbaum ever introduce you to someone named Kelly Siminski? No. Did he ever talk about knowing a Josh or a Kelly? No. Do you know Joshua or Kelly Siminski? I don't. Krauss then asks Swart about her last moments with Rosenbaum. Did Joseph leave? Yes, he did. About what time? He left at exactly 9.38 because I looked at my clock. You looked at your clock? My watch. And how was your how was your parting? How did you part ways? It was really good. We um we were talking about things we were gonna work on in the relationship. He was extremely excited to um to work on himself, work on some of the things he needed to work on and he, when he left, he said, um, he, he said that he would see me in the morning and he was all excited and I love you. It was a, it was a pleasant visit. Did you, was there any discussion of the potential for events downtown or the curfew or anything like that? I didn't, I did, um, explain to him that things had gotten bad the last few days because he was not in town 
and I did tell him explicitly not to go downtown. Prosecutor Krauss next moves on to the aftermath of Rosenbaum's death. What is the next thing you remember happening that night in relation to Joseph? Um, uh, I got a phone call at four in the morning from the medical examiner. And is that when you discovered that Joseph was deceased? Correct. So what did you do once you received this news? I fell to my knees and cried. And then what, if anything, did you do? I went on my phone and looked up on the Facebook Kenosha scanner page to see what what the police call might have been about that night. And um, there was a video link, and I clicked that, and that's when I saw the video of Joe dying. So you watched one of the videos of the shooting? Correct. And uh, that evening, had you been watching... Uh, we've heard a lot of people are out there live streaming or filming or the news. Did you, you watching any of that? Nothing. All right. So you had no idea that uh, anything, you, you didn't know what was happening in downtown Kenosha until four o'clock. Until four morning. in the morning. Once you saw that video, what did you do? I broke down and I can't get that image out of my head. So, yeah. Did you go down to downtown Kenosha at all? I did the following morning. My sister picked me up about 8 a.m. and we went over to Car Source and there was the mark where Joe had been uh, laying. And I put my hand in it and my hand was wet with his blood. And that's again when I collapsed on the ground. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Krauss proceeds to ask Swart to identify two photos of her with Rosenbaum, enters them into evidence, and has them presented to the jury without objection. He then tells the court that he has no more questions for the witness. Defense attorney Corey Sharafasi asks to approach the bench. In a sidebar conversation, he asks Judge Schrader to revisit his ruling about the scope of questioning allowed to the defense regarding Rosenbaum's medical history, given the questions to Swart regarding Rosenbaum's medication. Schrader asks the jury to step out of the courtroom and allows Sharafasi to ascertain from Swart what kind of medication Rosenbaum was taking to inform Schrader's decision about the admissibility of this line of questioning. You had answered some questions from uh, Attorney Krauss regarding uh, Joseph taking medications that day. Correct. Mr. Rosenbaum. Sorry. Thank you. That Mr. Rosenbaum had taken medications that day? Correct. Okay. Um, do you know what they were? No, I only know some of them. I don't remember all of them. Do you know, can you tell us the sum that you know he took? Gabapentin was one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you for one second. Do you know what he takes that, did you know what he took that for? 
Uh, bipolar disorder. Okay. Any other um, medications that you know that he took? I know he was on an antidepressant. I At that time, I don't know which one they had him on. Okay. Those would, and then uh, something for sleep. Okay, but you, so the only, to be fair to you, the only medication that you know by name was gabapentin. Mm-hmm. And you are telling us that you know he took that for his bipolar disorder. Correct. Okay. Prosecutor Kraus responds by asking Swart. Do you know that he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder? Yes. How do you know that gabapentin was prescribed for that reason? I was his emergency contact at the hospital, so they really called me and asked me what kind of medications have worked in the past for him. And I told them, and they were in contact with me, um, letting me know what medications he was on, just like they called me that morning to say they were going to be letting him go, um, but that he had had his medication. So the hospital told you that day or the night before that they were they say they're prescribing it or they just ask you what they should prescribe? At first they were asking what they thought was best. And then I told him what had worked for him in the past. And he, uh, the doctor or the nurse that I spoke with, then explained to me what medications they put him on. And that was that. How many medications total, if you know, was he taking? Or was he given, let me this way, was he given at the hospital? I believe he was given Effexor, Sir, I'm sorry, Gabapentin and Seroquel for sleep. Judge Schrader then renders his ruling on the objection. Yeah, I think there's enough information that uh, it's admissible. So, uh, and uh, the state did open the door. So uh, ask the uh, jury to come back in, please. After the jury is brought back in, defense attorney Chirafasi begins his cross-examination of Carrie Ann Swart. So you had mentioned um, on direct examination that um, you and Mr. Rosenbaum uh, spent the day of the 25th together. Is that fair? The afternoon, yes. Okay. okay. And um, you were asked by um, Attorney Kraus if he had taken his medication that day, right? Correct. And Mr. Rosenbaum was taking gabapentin, is that right? I believe so, yes. That's okay. what I was told. Okay. And you know, uh, having been around him, that that was for bipolar disorder? It was to help with, uh, along with the antidepressant. And when you saw him, uh, this plastic bag, you saw the picture of the plastic bag? Correct. One of the things that you mentioned that he had in there was a plastic water bottle. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you had said that that plastic water bottle was empty, is that right? Correct. Did you find it odd that he was walking around with an empty plastic water bottle? Well, I, when I saw the bag with the empty bottle, I thought it might have been garbage. I asked if he wanted me to throw it out, but he said because he had some clothes and some paperwork from the hospital that he was just going to hold on to the bag because that was all he had. And he didn't ask you to throw away the water bottle, did he? No. He took that with him when he left you that evening. Is that right? As far as I know. Sharafasi then asks Swart about her warning to Joseph Rosenbaum. You had told him not to go downtown. 
Correct. Okay. Why was that? Because of all the unrest the last few the days prior. And you were concerned that he was going to go down there? No, I was concerned that because the entire city was up in flames that something would happen to him anywhere. But specifically, it seemed like it was downtown. So because he was coming from Milwaukee and didn't know all that information about Kenosha, I just wanted to make sure he knew. Prosecutor Krauss rises for his redirect examination of Swart. Swart, did the, the hospital he was at today consult with you on medications he was going to receive? Yes. And, and so was this a new mixture of medications that no. he was on? No. This was his regular medication that he had gone off of and had been back on for the last week or so, last week, 10 days before his death. And he had been on that with his other medications altogether for a while. Yeah, for the whole time I was with him, a year, yeah. Prosecutor Krauss concludes his questioning. The defense has no further questions and the witness is excused. And with that, we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next episode for our weekly recap conversation with Georgetown law professor, Abby Smith. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com You can find more information about this trial at our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs>